Hello, welcome to another episode of Coffee with Mirko. I'm your host, Mirko Bamasa from Coffee Fixation, and I'm happy that you're here. I hope you're safe, hope you're well, and if you're new, uh, welcome. Uh, welcome to another episode uh, where we talk with uh, coffee professionals from all over the world, and uh, always good to have you. And if you're new, just feel free to share this with your friends, just take a screenshot and uh, share this talk with your friends on Instagram, on Facebook, on Twitter. We're trying to grow this little family here. Um, we're waiting for Andre Ayerman, which is just tuned in. So without further ado, let's bring him on. Good morning. My man, good morning to you. Well, good, good evening. It's Melbourne time. I still uh, <laughs> cannot uh, put it into my head. Well, I think soon. <laughs> Eventually you will once you, <laughs> once you come over this side of the world. But uh, it's good to see you and thank you for uh, being here. Thank you for uh, tuning in. It's, uh, it's amazing to have you and having a chance to chat with you. Thank you very much for the invitation. It's, a, it's an absolute honor when you see uh, the whole lineup uh, of super coffee professionals you talk to. So you make my day uh, very often, maybe without even knowing it, but it's amazing during lockdown, uh, having or listening, uh, sometimes not maybe not watching, but always listening uh, to your discussions. It's totally outstanding, really motivating. Thank you. I appreciate it. But I'm, I'm, I am the one who is honored to have you on because uh, of your amazing coffee career, which brings us. And I'm glad that you listen to the podcast so that you kind of know what you're in for. You're prepared. <laughs> I'm prepared. Wait for my answer when you ask me with whom I want to have dinner. I had a long time to prepare. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I love it. Um, so, um, Andre, can you just give us a bit of an idea of what has been so far your coffee career and your journey? Yes, it's a pleasure to, to always talk about uh, my career. I, I'm an old man with a lot of gray hair. So I started my career around uh, 20 years ago. And uh, I started as a junior coffee trader. And uh, I was super lucky to have been sent uh, after nine months only to Kenya and Tanzania. Mm. So I spent uh, for about one year, most of my time in cupping labs or in dry mills, wet mills and on coffee farms. And I tasted around four to 800 cups of coffee a day. So I was brutally untalented when it uh, came to cupping, but uh, after a couple of hundred of coffees every day, even an untalented uh, marketing student will get the vocabulary uh, into his head and the taste buds uh, in your mouth uh, trained. And after that, I thought I should become a, a super creative fashion photographer so I quit coffee. I went into uh, fashion photography and graphic design in uh, London. But then, as the guy told me during my uh, interview with uh, Folk Cafe, so the green coffee uh, company I worked for, he said, once you start in coffee, 
you will stay in coffee until the end of your life. So I entered the coffee business again, and then I spent several years uh, always in marketing with uh, commercial coffee roasters. And that's somehow how I ended up. And a couple of years ago, I got more into uh, specialty coffee. I uh, started again uh, to travel uh, to origin. So I started with uh, Honduras, then Costa Rica, Guatemala, Rwanda, El Salvador. So I had a full immersion into uh, coffee origin again. And I did a little detour and I even competed uh, at coffee championships. And as always, if you don't feel the pressure and uh, you follow your passion and you're surrounded by uh, good people, you start being lucky. And somehow I won uh, the Swiss Nationals, went to the Worlds, and I had also a great connection to my uh, Italian family. They're producing coffee machines. So they pushed me, and uh, somehow that was my uh, coffee journey. Totally unplanned. Which is fantastic. Like, I mean considering the fact that you were just uh, yeah like you said you just entered the competition uh just just for the sake of and you ended up winning the swiss championship and still make it top 10 in the world it's such an outstanding uh result and uh, and and to give context to the audience what's even though it's a tricky question but what are you currently uh, doing in terms of like what's what sort of i know that you know you've been stuck in lockdown obviously I'm totally stuck in lockdown, so I should have left uh, at the end of March towards uh, Australia. So I was supposed uh, to live and work uh, in Melbourne by now, but uh, just nine days prior to departure, the borders uh, got shut. So I have uh, no home. I'm homeless uh, in my home country and uh, I had to escape uh, into the Swiss Alps and I'm living now in a friend's place uh, in like a vacation uh, area. And uh, I use the time to listen to many podcasts. I do a lot of uh, live sessions. Uh, you have uh, virtual farm trips, which are amazing. So for example, last year I boarded uh, nearly 88 airplanes. This year uh, I haven't been flying uh, at all. But uh, I haven't been on so many coffee farms uh, this year. Uh, like in, haven't been in my life before uh, the whole life. So I'm doing a lot of this. I'm reading, uh, as you might know, I'm very much into coffee science. So I'm reading many, many, many scientific articles about uh, coffee extraction, both brewing as well as uh, espresso. And this is super time consuming because it's a different way how uh, scientists write about coffee so it takes mm. uh, me to read an article five to ten times to halfway understand it and then i will call maybe my friends uh, from the university of applied science in zurich the team around uh, professor chaham yerizian uh, to explain to me what, what's the the key takeaways uh, in a scientific article. And that's how but, I moment how I grow. But still, even though you're in lockdown, uh, you know, the, 
there's a I've heard I've heard that they call you Mr. Productivity, and uh, you're definitely you're definitely confirming that because even in lockdown you're keeping busy. Um, first, uh, uh, we'll go back into productivity in a second. Uh, Chris Lukakis is saying hi, and everybody else saying hi, and we say hi back. And um, Don Bacon is asking, what resources on the science of coffee would you recommend? That's a great question. It's really a very good question. It is very interesting. I, I would assume that most of the followers will be from uh, the specialty coffee industry. But when we look at coffee science, there will be like the, the biggest roasters in the world, which have the, the big budget to finance uh, the really interesting research. So I have been, for example, reading a lot of papers about uh, capsule coffee extraction because uh, scientifically it is really fascinating. I've also uh, read a lot about uh, instant coffee. Yes, maybe it's not uh, my favorable cup in the morning, but the techniques the instruments behind uh, are just very uh, fascinating because you have an extremely high yield as uh, producing freeze-dried coffees, for example, using a lot of energy. So it's very costly. So you need sometimes to go up to an extraction yield instead of 20% to 40 or sometimes even 60%. So understanding uh, how uh, science uh, people do that uh, is very interesting. So most specialty people think in, in specialty we know a lot, but uh, apparently studying commercial coffee extraction uh, is totally amazing. And I came across uh, a PhD paper of a guy who worked for uh, JDE, the second biggest roaster in the world. It's a, nearly 400 papers and he's an engineer and he is explaining or looking at coffee extraction from an engineering point of view. So, but I, I needed several people to explain that paper to me, but it is very interesting. And uh, you learn a lot and then you go back uh, behind the Italian espresso machine and uh, the way you work, the way you think will be totally different. But then you need to, to come back to mother earth and talk to people in a normal way because it's really far away and some of the commercial roasters, I would say they are like 10, 15 years ahead of specialty coffee when it comes to extraction know-how. I, 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 I can resonate with that in terms of, I think that we often demonize commercial coffee, which there's a reason for it, but uh, there is definitely, like, like most things in life, there's always a good, a good side and a side that we should look at instead of demonize and sort of getting inspired but always be like oh hang on maybe we should start be looking at doing things a little bit differently um again yeah i couldn't agree more in terms of uh, being ahead of the game in certain aspects for sure you know for example for wbc in 2017 i was actually using a technology i was degassing the coffee with nitrogen and that's actually a technology that has been invented 40 years ago 
by uh, er Eric Favre, the guy who invented uh, the Nespresso capsule system. So can you imagine you come with something on stage to make specialty coffee even more tasty that has been developed 40 years ago by a commercial coffee guy and he was an engineer so uh, yeah th there's such an application to so many facets of coffee when it comes to science and i think and i think that we're still i think we're still young i think we're still in the teenage phase um puberty as an industry because if you look at what we've you know what, what's been achieved in the past 15 20 years it really is a great outlook for the next 50. absolutely i think at the moment uh, coffee is moving at the speed of light and when we look at coffee science uh, it's at the very beginning and especially espresso extraction we tend to say we understand but when you talk to scientists uh, they are very clear we, we, we are at the very beginning. We still don't understand uh, a lot. But uh, as more people are interested into it and big companies, they put the funds into it. I think in the, the next three to five years, uh, we will see huge progress. And happily for us, we will taste even greater uh, coffees in the near future. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm very certain of it. And going back to the Mr. Productivity nickname that I've read about you, um, first, is it true? Second, what's your trick? But also, I think often productivity is one of those words that sits on a very fine line. You know, people say you've got to be productive, but it can also diverge people to feeling bad about themselves, uh, beating up themselves for not being productive. And pushing themselves maybe too hard and start to be sleep deprived. And that actually goes to negative outcomes of burning out. So it's always a fine balance, isn't it? It is definitely a fine balance. What, what I can say uh, to Mr. Productivity is uh, I have a great passion for coffee and uh, I'm a curious person. So I think passion and curiosity are my two main uh, drivers and like my rocket fuel that uh, keep uh, pushing me to, to go further. And then uh, whatever I did now in coffee, I, I was always very clear. I, want, I, I was setting my goal and I took all the decisions like autonomously and I defined also my own uh, purpose. And then inside me, I have like, uh, I want to master things. So you, you might have also read that I was an ultra trail runner doing races for like 140 uh, kilometers and things like this. So I like sometimes to go a little bit further, but I don't believe in uh, no pain, no gain. I do such things because I like it. I do things be, because I move forward. But if it's too painful, I will stop. 
So it's just not doing it for the sake of doing it. It's just because my body wants to do it or my mind wants to do it. And when I started in coffee, I just didn't like the coffee in the office. So, and I was working in marketing. And, you know, it doesn't matter. You don't like the coffee. So I wanted to learn uh, how to make a better coffee. And then somehow uh, I get more interested uh, in the beans, in the roasting, in the preparation, the grinding, the water. And as I'm a curious uh, person with like a scientific background, maybe I, I went a little bit further than others. But it, it was always uh, the passion that was driving me. And I, and I think it's fantastic. And I think it's so crucial to have that kind of self-awareness um, that enable you to actually activate the principle of patience, the principle of nothing is going to come easy, uh, but it doesn't have to hurt, like you just said. I, and I'm the same. I don't believe in... I mean, it's a great sentence, no pain, no gain, and there's a lot of memes and there's a lot of uh, connection with sports, but, but you're right. Like, if you hurt yourself to the point of injury, you're not going to be able to run the marathon that you've been training for. Uh, and, and like in the airplane, I made the example a couple of podcasts ago, uh, you got to look after yourself first with the oxygen mask before you can look after somebody else. So I think that's another aspect. So, yeah, absolutely. And which, what you just said about you just wanted to make better coffee in the office, we go back to a point that you made about 15 minutes ago. Once you're in coffee, there's no return. There's, there's, there's no comeback. And, and it's so true. Like uh, Someone told that to, this to me about 10 years ago, so, and I still am involved in coffee, and, uh, and, and you are too. So uh, how important, though, is to narrow down or develop an understanding that you can juggle eight, nine, 12 different balls on, you know, different aspects around coffee because it's competition, business, marketing, science, until you can understand well, which one you really don't want to break of these balls. You know, first of all, I was hired in the company I used to work for seven years as a marketeer. So first priority was marketing and I had to do all the marketing jobs because that's why uh, what you get paid for. So it's important uh, you do your duty. And then I did all the other things uh, on the side. N nobody ever asked me uh, to compete at championships. But uh, if you especially work in marketing and not as a barista, you need to make yourself time to, to practice. So I remember when I went to the first barista jam, I was working uh, or practicing after my marketing work two, three, four hours every day to get the, the espresso right, to texture the milk properly, to uh, practice uh, latte art. So that was maybe from uh, 6 to 8 or 6 to 9 o'clock at night uh, after work. And then I was interested in coffee science. So that was maybe from 9 to midnight. And then there were some podcasts I wanted to listen to. So that was maybe from midnight to 2 o'clock. 
So for the last four to five years, I haven't really been sleeping a lot. So <laughs> sorry, it's great. Some people they need more sleep, others need less, and I'm just a lucky one that I may I might need less sleep uh, than others. But at the end of the day, it, it was hard work, you know. It's, Nothing comes free, and it is hard work and it's dedication. And the passion, obviously, is so obvious and transparent when when we hear the story that you just said. Um, for context, uh, how many hours do you sleep? Oh, it depends. Sometimes it's four hours or five hours. Uh, and, uh, you know, sometimes <laughs> during the competition training, we just work like 24 hours nonstop. So... <laughs> That, that's, that is very impressive. I, I, I struggle if I don't get six and a half, seven. Uh, but uh, gl glad to hear there is uh, people like you out there. Um, now, uh, something that you know I'm very passionate about and I want to take uh, your perspective on it is that coffee is often given, given for granted and also uh, which is just... Uh, it's so available, right? You can get coffee pretty much everywhere in every country. Uh, but it wouldn't be possible without the people behind it. Uh, from origin to roasters, from baristas to consumers actually creating a demand. Uh, how important is to not forget this element of people? I think, first of all, when we drink a cup of coffee, we would think about the origin. Because without the, the producers, without the pickers, without the, all the people involved in uh, the value chain at origin, we in the consuming country wouldn't be able to enjoy any coffee at all. And maybe with other products, it's easier because the potato might come from your neighbor farmer, or uh, the milk uh, will come from the cow that you might see, or the fruits, you know, the strawberries, uh, they grow uh, just uh, next door. Coffee is uh, a product that grows uh, normally far away from where you consume it. And we often uh, forget about this. And when you look also how coffee started, there was a lot of slavery involved. So once coffee started, maybe we didn't start on the right foot. And uh, now being far away from origin, we sometimes uh, are a little bit narrow-minded and we just think about, uh, let's make the coffee as tasty as possible. But when you look at the slogan from the Specialty Coffee Association saying, make coffee better, it's really... Don't just make it tastier, but make it better in terms of uh, make the entire coffee value chain more sustainable. Be fair to everyone uh, along this value chain. And this is, for me, the first priority should always go to the producing countries. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And also, it's where it all starts. Uh, there is no... There is no chicken and the egg uh, here. Uh, that's how it is. <laughs> the reason it's it starts on the tree and it starts 
person who planted the tree is going to take care of it and do the whole thing that you just described. Absolutely. Uh, and in this case, going back to the origin aspects, you know, we have a price crisis. We have a climate change that is whether, you know, whether people believe it or not, that's, that's like the whole uh, <laughs> planet Earth, flat or not flat. Um, what could be, in your opinion, the single most effective action or change that someone could do to help the entire ecosystem of coffee? You know, I think the model we have in specialty coffee about the direct trade, paying more or higher prices for better qualities is really, really, really good. And I think uh, especially in Australia where uh, specialty coffee is already well established, I think uh, the industry has a certain impact. When I look in, in other countries, for example, now my home country, Switzerland, specialty coffee is extremely niche. And uh, there are only a few specialty coffee roasters. And don't get me wrong, they're doing the right thing. So they pay higher prices. They try to establish a direct relationship with farmer. And, and that is very good. So at the end of the day, some farmers will get more money. But just the size of those businesses is too small. So from my point of view, to really have a, a great impact, that's really a great impact also at origin and not just touching a couple of uh, already well-known specialty coffee farmers, we need somehow to move the commercial coffee industry towards uh, the specialty coffee model. Because if those very large rosters, they would step up paying more, they would have a huge impact at origin immediately. You know, the company yeah. I work for, if you order coffee from Honduras, you will order 10, 20 containers. So if you buy a better quality and you pay more for that, and you support them uh, with agronomists to produce a better quality, that would have a huge impact. Then when I looked, when I started our uh, specialty coffee line, I bought one or two bags from this farmer, one or two bags from this farmer. Yes, I paid a high price, but in total, the impact was not big enough. So I, I think that, it, that would be uh, important uh, to do. And you know, in general, we have to move away uh, from this uh, shareholder thinking, creating more profit for a company. I mean, bottom line, yes, profit is important because if you have a sustainable business, uh, you want to help people, but your own business is not profitable, you will go bankrupt. So that won't help. But the other two P is like uh, the people and the planet. That is so important. So we have to make sure that the profit, but also people and the planet, they are in a harmonious uh, relationship. It's a triangle of P's. People, planet, profit. Very interesting. And uh, just because you touched base on it, um, what, what do you think of the Australian coffee scene? D difficult to say, you know. 
I have been to Australia so far only twice. Okay, mm. it was love at first sight uh, in February last year when I first came to Melbourne and I attended uh, mice and I was swept away and uh, it was clear I wanted to move immediately immediately to Melbourne and I uh, wanted to start working there uh, immediately. I mean, compared to other countries, the specialty coffee industry is, is already well established. I had a, a chat uh, with a friend, he's half Swiss and half uh, Australian, and he said, okay, Melbourne is already like a shark, shark tank uh, for specialty coffee roasters, because there are already so many. And the quality mm -hmm. is already uh, very high. And the, both the roasters, the baristas, as well as uh, the coffee lovers, they are already well educated. So I think you, you have already, compared to other countries, uh, a very good level. Okay, that's, that's good to hear. And uh, we really hoped <laughs> for you to be able to come here real soon uh, even though we're yeah we, we it is a, it is an interesting situation that we are at especially here in Melbourne but uh, I really can't wait to have your admission person too and Andre finally we got the question that you most prepared um, <laughs> now out of the box question halfway marks for the interview uh, Andre if you could who would you like to have dinner with can be anyone and it doesn't have to be in coffee it will be in coffee and it's very clear i would love to have dinner with uh, eric Favre. so he's the inventor of the nespresso capsule system he's no longer with them i'm now reading his book and uh, it's just fascinating how like a science guy an engineer because he loves coffee, invented uh, this system when he got inspired uh, in a tiny little coffee shop uh, in Italy. And I I'm reading his book and he's explaining how he was struggling being an entrepreneur, so an entrepreneur within uh, one of the biggest companies uh, in the world that is normally wanting people to follow the rules, the hierarchy. And he was like uh, trying to find his way to navigate through and uh, to put this innovation uh, on the road. So it's totally fascinating. And uh, I know that he's traveling a lot, uh, especially to Asia. He's also very much uh, into tea. And in general, he's just about interested about extracting things from any kind of uh, product. So he's also working on grinding and uh, it's fantastic. And uh, I'm totally fascinated by him. And I want to know how he came up with this crazy idea. Okay, I know maybe in terms of sustainability, we think it's not good or maybe a lot of waste. So let's just put this away, but I just want to, to know how a guy like him uh, came up with this. And I think um, just briefly touching on this, I think we often, I'm reading a book um, called 
which was actually uh, recommended to me by Patrick Roth from um, April Coffee, and it's called uh, Talking with Strangers. Mm-hmm. And it's very interesting. That's, anyway, it's a great book. Um, and it's interesting on how people just take certain truths uh, just, you know, by default. So, you know, the truth is that, uh, or the assumptions, you know, that we make. So Nespresso, bad, like, like right? And instead, if you really break it down, it's like, hang on, there's, there's a little bit more here to see. It is an invention like a bicycle, a blender. It's, it's, it's been invented. Like, it didn't exist before that. And it is fascinating. Like you said, I think extraction, grinding, are words that often we connect to coffee, but you can extract tea, you can grind spices, cocoa, (laughs) the list goes on. But you know, it's madness. This guy knew already 40 years ago about particle size distribution. So that's when we look at specialty coffee. It was Matt Perger who came up uh, on stage with a spice grinder, when everybody thought, okay, this guy must be mad. And he talked about uh, the B-model particle size distribution, and this guy already knew it. Or now in specialty coffee, for example, some people say we should put like a filter paper on top and at the bottom of the pot. So you will get the more even uh, extraction. Well, open this capsule. They have already started doing that uh, 40 years ago so it's really totally outstanding and then you know there are coffee machines where you can have like pre-wetting and things like this that's already in this capsule or like the the pressure build up so by the thickness of the aluminium mid in the front you can uh, steer the turbulences in the capsule to have a more efficient uh, extraction and this guy already 40 years ago, and now we come up and we study it in specialty coffee. It's just uh, super, super, super uh, inspiring. Yeah, and uh, Los Cafés Lariero saying his first capture extraction design is awesome. So I'm sure you're familiar with that. <laughs> <laughs> just a little bit. No, this helps me now so much to understand our espresso extraction but you know it's not always about uh, the extraction but also the business model and what we share is passion and when you read his book uh, it's fantastic to see how this man is passionate and, and and i think i think there's two elements here one we keep seeing cycles of going back to old trends and old fashions in fashion, in music, in art, in cinema, in a lot of spheres. So it's interesting on how often the new trends were old trends, but now they're going to be more expensive, right? Like Converse, right? Let's just say, for instance, all-star Converse uh, or, or Air Jordans, right? Like, like, and the other element is connected to the next wave of coffee uh, whilst global pandemics, which... Daniel Hobart said his prediction is that uh, the fourth wave will be home brewing. Obviously, it's also be, um, how do you say it? Um, it's, 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 a, it's, you know, it's a little bit of a cheeky statement. He knows that's not the case, but it will be like home brewing is 
spiked up. Like, like I started brewing more at home. Usually I just get a coffee out. How important then someone like this guy coming through and say, hey, we invented this 40 years ago. Let's make it better because that's all about invention. Yeah, it's, it's very interesting. It's interesting when I hear you talking about the fourth wave. So for me now, fourth wave is like more like third wave or like the real specialty. And then fourth wave uh, here in Switzerland, we talk like more like a scientific approach where, for example, uh, you work with scales. So, you know, your dose in and you know your precise uh, dose out. And then in Switzerland, we already talk about the fifth wave which is all about uh, automation. <laughs> so maybe then uh, in Switzerland, we should call homebrewing already the sixth wave. But uh, I was happy to see that so many people started to buy homebrewing equipment. That's yeah. really good. And especially as now we have time to brew at home. It's not you wake up and you have to rush to work and uh, you grab somewhere a coffee to go because you have to jump on a train and you have your first meeting and now home office, no, no need to commute. So take 15 minutes time to, to brew coffee at home. And there were so many video tutorials how to do. I mean, th that is now the best way to start learning how to brew coffee at home, I think. You're absolutely right. And I think my comparison in terms of a positive outlook from this is food. So if, I, if my nonna knew that uh, there were a TV show like MasterChef, she would be like, what do you mean? <laughs> People are getting paid to go on television to cook and compete cooking. <laughs> like It's just food, right? So I think that that passion for cooking at home people who really get into it, ingredients and their research and their research recipes and they cook at home. What happens is that when they move, they get out of their house, they start to appreciate more food. So they spend more, they dine in a particular way. They don't mind spending extra for a fine dining experience. And I hope that this home brewing, uh, you know, like a, this home brewing movement that's coronavirus kind of helped in a way will drive people to do the same, to appreciate more uh, when their local coffee shop make a lovely manual pour. So hopefully they will start spending more on coffee. And we got a question from Don Bacon. Um, some people say fourth way is brewing at origin, which I can see. I can see that. I think brewing at origin is important. I have been to many coffee origins and uh, it was a pity to see some coffee farmers, they produce an outstanding quality, but they have never ever tasted their own coffee. So that was very sad for me to see. And you brew coffee for them and suddenly they look at you and you tell them your coffee is outstanding and you see them starting uh, to smile. So in 2015, when I went first time to Honduras, that's when uh, eCafe uh, started to establish uh, coffee labs so coffee farmers could actually taste their own uh, qualities. Or, for example, in Kenya, the Kenyans, they export the best beans 
And then uh, they drink uh, the worst quality that they cannot export uh, export uh, at a decent price. So this is sad. So I think origin uh, people, they should drink uh, their best things, similar to, for example, uh, in Ethiopia. And a challenge for that, after my chat with Chris Hendon, uh, speaking of science, um, the challenge with that is that often water becomes an issue when it comes to origin in terms of the quality of the water whilst brewing. Yes, for us, for us you know, we talk about uh, roasting and we have uh, all the instruments to measure the process. Then we brew and of course the machines we are using are temperature stable. The pressure is as we would like to set it. And then we talk about the water quality that is perfectly uh, analyzed and sometimes even perfectly uh, constructed. Well, you arrive at origin, the roaster is uh, the roaster, whatever you get as an equipment. Uh, and then you have a grinder and it's may maybe not the perfect grinder. And the water is just the water that comes out of the tap and you warm it up, there's no thermometer, and then you brew. But, but this is also fine for me. So maybe sometimes in our countries, we try to overcomplicate things. And uh, we try to make a super high precision coffee. And we look for the most freaky flavor notes. And whatever is not perfect makes this cup of coffee uh, a bad cup. And sometimes we should just turn it around and just brew in a simple way and uh, just look at the beautiful notes, the sweetness, uh, and maybe if it's not the most complex one, uh, just the easy flavors, if it's sweets, I don't know, some apricots or peach, uh, perfect. And not look for what might not be 100% perfect in the cup. The, I suppose the challenge that he was addressing is that often the, the the difference of water will impact potentially the purchase or not purchase of that coffee. And then it might put the farmer in a disadvantage point where perhaps the same coffee would have been scored in a different way or would have been uh, chosen by roasters uh, when they cup that coffee with the water from you know their beautiful uh, filtration systems in their own Q-Lab. Which is, but like you said, I like what you said, especially when it comes to consumers and especially when we talk about making easier conversations like you and I are doing. The research is fine, the science is beautiful, but sometimes we just got to bring it down to did you like it? <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, I love science and uh, I am uh, super precise when it comes to brew recipes and I like to play around with the brewing temperature and I know all the tiny little details of my water but then sometimes I just want to have a cup of coffee and some people I realize they're getting worried and scared and nervous to serve me a coffee and I'm not analyzing uh, each and every cup uh, because then it's not you enjoy coffee then it's like uh, it's work and coffee should be fun should uh, you should enjoy it i think it's better to enjoy it together because it's a very social beverage and then uh, let's just have a chat enjoy great hospitality and uh, 
the beautiful coffee is beautiful. Done. No need to discuss too far, right? Hundred percent. And, and <laughs> recently, someone reached out to me and they sent me a DM, and uh, they are this person is in the coffee industry, well-being, and you know, quite a reputation, and uh, sent me a picture of um, of 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 their coffee in the morning and it was made out of uh, Mokona. I'm not sure if you're familiar with Mokona. Mokona is a, a staple in Australian homes as instant coffee, right? It's like, it's one of the first thing you learned when you come to Australia, it's like Mokona, right? And, you know, this person was kind of ashamed and I was like, what's wrong with it? You grew up in Australia, it's a familiar flavor, it brings you back to childhood. Drink it, did you enjoy it this morning? Yeah, it was delicious. So what? Beautiful. <laughs> so we're going back at demonizing. Look, obviously there's aspects of it that's not cool, and I'm sure that but that person knows that that's not a 90-plus Panama coffee. So it's okay, um, like you said. Um, going back to sort of these questions, I'm very curious to see and hear your perspective around uh, this Oh, but before I go to my question, this Daniel has dropped a comment saying, can't wait for automation, take the emphasis from the process and the presentation and put it back onto the product. Oh, yeah, yeah that's, it. that's well put. Um, I think most important is coffee, when you prepare it, has to be prepared in a consistent way. Mm -mm. And we should also look at uh, who's first. First, as I said, the first priority is origin, it produces. And then it's very quickly the customers. It's not about, uh, for example, me as a barista. This is not my morning show. Uh, the customer comes in, he wants to have his coffee. So I serve him uh, the best coffee possible. And some of them are in a rush, so they don't want to know all the details that are written on the packaging. So I serve them the coffee as quickly as possible. I smile at them. I uh, say goodbye. I wish them uh, well uh, and a nice day. This is more important. So yeah. it's the total experience that you get. And we as baristas sometimes should step down a little bit and uh, really focus on hospitality and the customer. You listen to my podcasts. You've heard me before saying this. I think that automation comes in handy to allow us to have deeper and more meaningful conversations with our customers because we have an automated temp. We have a machine that pretty much whispers to us. We can, know, we can nearly talk to machines. So that if we instead take an advantage of that and see that as, okay, well, now I've gained... 25, 32 seconds, I can talk to Tom, John, Jennifer, or, I don't know, Jacinta. Let's do that. And let's, let's enhance their experience because, I don't know, I, and I would love to have, I really would love, but I don't have time, I'm busy enough, to run some crazy science uh, tests and experiments to understand how much taste is impacted by the how you overall feel when you're angry when you're tired when you're in love when you're happy when you're alone when you're depressed i would love to understand the same cup of coffee well, as same as possible 
how that would taste differently amongst different statuses. Because then if we found out that happiness and really being good would enhance the flavor, then why wouldn't we give that experience to the customer? You know, we, we did tests in, you know, big uh, marketing companies. Fortunately, they have the money to do such tests. So you do tests and serve people coffee and there will be, will be exactly those kind of questions. How they feel today? Good or bad experience? And uh, there is definitely a correlation between your mood and how you're going to score your coffee. I mean, hmm. score. Yeah, sorry, for, it's not scoring. It's, uh, is it tasty or not? Uh, I liked it more or less. That's what I mean by scoring. And that's it's also, I mean, Professor Charles Spence, he did a lot of research on uh, multi-sensory experience. How, for example, a chocolate tastes more sweet when the surrounding music uh, is like more high pitch or you perceive more bitterness uh, when you hear some more low frequency uh, music. He did some work on whiskey, how a whiskey tastes when you are in a like darker environment compared to a, a brighter environment. So it's super, super, super complex how we uh, rate uh, a coffee, good, bad, best. Uh, so whatever surrounds you, has a huge impact. Well, then, based on that, really focusing on that people connection would make a huge impact. Um, Andrew, I cannot believe that it's been 49 minutes already, and you know that. <laughs> what wow. that means. I know. I'm, I'm surprised myself. Um, so, I'll first, thank you again for coming in. Um, it's been really interesting. Uh, I'm going to rewatch a bit of this. Um, I'll, I'll leave you with a couple of questions that I want to end so that leave us a little bit of leverage towards the end. Um, what would you like to see in the future of coffee? What's your coffee mission? And hopefully what's, what's next for you, which I sort of know, but uh, so you, the stage is yours. So for me, Many people know me now as a coffee scientist and a competitor. But uh, most recently, I spent a lot of time uh, studying sustainability. And I'm honest with the listeners. It, sustainability was uh, very far away from uh, where I come from. But once you understand and your heart beats with origin, you start fighting for it and even there are now baby steps uh, and it took me a long time to understand and learn. I really want to spend more time making coffee better, the value chain and f more fair, especially towards the origin countries and not just tastier. I think that is, that is very, very important. And uh, as I said, I think we have to democratize specialty coffee to make it more accessible to also the commercial coffee drinkers. And we have to take them by the hand and guide them towards specialty coffee. So we have a bigger and better impact uh, at origin. I truly believe in this. Yeah, and I appreciate it. And I think 
sustainability is such a buzzword, isn't it? Um, it's such a, I'm sure if you put in the trends words of 2020, it's right up there amongst, I don't know, vaccine. <laughs> um, but <laughs> I think that often humans, and I'm not, you know, pointing fingers, but often humans kind of wait and they have the approach of, well, someone will figure it out or we'll be fine. I'll wait until that day. But reality is that I'm a big fan and big believer of individuals' actions. And this goes with literally what we are in control of. There's so much that we're not in control of, right? Whereas you believe in conspiracy theories, where you believe in politicians being corrupted, whatever it is, a lot of stuff is out of your control. The weather, uh, what's in your control is your individual impacts on the environment. In yes. fact, it's called footprint because it's one foot and it's yours, the end. And it's astonishing that still we buy products that take an insanely amount of land water resources for a hundred grams worth of food that you can get at a much better rate rate in terms of um, the resources needed it's incredible how we buy tomatoes oranges uh, tomatoes in winter imported from the other side of the world imagine the impact just on tomatoes being imported from you know across the globe and yet we don't, we don't seem to connect the dots that we are in control of our choices and decisions. So I want to hear your take on that and that, that will close it off. So that's, for example, why I started to get involved into uh, oat milk produced uh, in Switzerland. Actually, just uh, 20 minutes now from where I live. Because oat milk is amazing, but I don't believe that we should ship oat milk from Sweden uh, to Switzerland because we can grow it uh, next door and we can support our local farmers, but we still don't have the know-how to make it tasty. So we can learn from that. And each and every one individual uh, can contribute. And, you know, I, I didn't run. And then I started being an ultra trail runner. I was a marketeer and then I competed. So now next mission is uh, sustainability. I think each and every one of us uh, can do. It's not about finger pointing uh, how bad others are or how bad I was myself. It's okay, understand, we need to move on and then start moving. And even if it's baby step, uh, that's big enough. Yeah, that's it. I love it. Um, 100%. I could not top that off. I. I really thank you for bringing this topic up. I think that we haven't covered sustainability uh, in this podcast yet, and that's why I love having all different type of people coming on the show. And uh, it is something that I'm very passionate about. It's often something I don't really talk too much about, especially when it comes to my choices of what I eat, um, because I know people get quite defensive. Um, but I think it's important to at least have a knowledge of where your food comes from, what impact it has had all the way from start to plate. Like, not, not like, like literally from start to plate. 
And then maybe people will start looking at their own consumer choices and decision in a very different way. Yes. And you know, this is also now happening in coffee. Just what you said, from cradle to grave. That's, for example, how we look at the, the CO2 emissions or the carbon footprint of coffee machines. And uh, there is uh, an analysis called the life cycle analysis. And that's, for example, where you can understand uh, how much uh, CO2 emissions are within the production with the usage. And then when you analyze uh, where the big chunks of uh, the CO2 emissions come from, then you can measure and you understand in what way you have to improve a coffee machine to take it back to coffee. And it's also the yeah. same when we look at the dairy milk alternatives. Almond looked amazing, but uh, CO2 is very good. But the amount of water you need is maybe not so good. So that's where a scientific approach is good. And then I yeah. know about your uh, dietary. I mean, very good. Other people, they do it differently. It's, it's good to not finger point at others and just let 100%. everybody start moving. But as you said, together we can do, we can do great. I, I think you're right, 100%. In fact, that's why I never go too out of my way uh, because it's important. It's a personal journey and it's important for people just to know. I think just knowing uh, will allow you to make certain different choices and decisions. And, you know, you can have a, you know, a sustainable diet, but then you might buy a, have a cup takeaway coffee every day. So, you know, it, and then I think it's important. I want to leave it with this. This is my last sentence. And then I read something nice that I've written uh, for you. Um, I think is we need to be comfortable with the idea that Perfection doesn't exist. We're always going to cause a certain amount of harm, and that's okay to accept that. And Los Cafés de Larieros wrote, Andre, you never stop growing as a human being. You're our inspiration source here at Los Cafés de Larieros. Muchas gracias. Thank you. And Andre, it's been a pleasure having you, and I hope to have you back on. Maybe we could do a live session together in the same room when you come to Melbourne. In Melbourne, definitely. <laughs> that would be amazing. And then we make some tasty espresso. That would be really cool. I miss espresso because I can't make it here. But uh, thank you, Andre. It's been a real treat, a real honor and pleasure to have you on. And uh, I, will, I, will, I will send you a message just after this. Thank you again for popping by and uh, you have an amazing day ahead. Yes, thank you very much, and uh, goodbye to uh, Australia and Melbourne, my new home, and please stay safe and uh, strong. We will. Uh, we'll, we need to so that you can come here. Thanks, mate. Cool. Thank, thank you, Andrew. You. Bye. Uh, there you have it, guys. Uh, We've just down the line. We just had an amazing chat with Andre. Uh, it's about 45 seconds left. So I'll wrap it up. Thank you for being here. Thank you, Andre, especially. But thank all of you sending amazing questions, amazing messages. I really appreciate it. If you're new, feel free to follow us. We do this about three times a week. We post this as a podcast, as a YouTube. And feel free to share this with your friends on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, whatever fences you. And a big shout out to all the people that have been 
all the way through. Uh, Os Consort, Los Cafés, Del Arriero, Soha, Don Bacon, all of you. So we've got 20 seconds left. Thank you very much. I will close it off now and take care and be safe.